Hello, my name's Somin. I work under the artistic name Somatic, and you're listening to the second episode of my project, Sonic Landscapes of Colour. Through nine interviews, this sound art documentary tells the story of what it's like to grow up as a young person of colour in the Southwest. Underscoring the interviews is a soundscape built out of recording sessions with four non-Western traditional instrumentalists who all have roots in the Southwest. These normally unheard voices are scattered across the rural landscape of Dorset, Somerset, Devon and Cornwall. By bringing them together, this project aims to highlight similarities, celebrate differences and build collective power. But it's important to say this is in no way a definitive guide to how all young people of colour feel or think. We invite you to listen to these intimate lived experiences and reflect on what you hear. Maybe empathy can help us enact meaningful change in the Southwest today. I'll let the participants reintroduce themselves. My name's Isla Karam Barrow Kumberg Lydia Rachel Isla Jazz Sammy, but you can also call me Samu, which is my Chinese name. I'm 24, 28, 18, 23, 25, 24, 19. I'm 26 years old. In this second episode, we look at isolation, alienation, colorism, racism, how the local natural landscape is a place of resilience, belonging, and hopes for the future. I'm mixed heritage. My father's family are from the Caribbean and my mum's half Irish and half English. Kenyan and English. I'm Chinese. I'm a second gen immigrant, so my parents were also born here. And I'm half Senegalese and half white. I'm one quarter Jamaican on my mum's side. Black African. My mum is Indian and my dad is Jamaican. Technically Scottish and West African, so Ivorian descent. Sierra Leonean, but I was actually born in the Gambia and then I was only a year old when we moved to England. I was born in Exeter, grew up in Exmouth. Um, North Devon to be exact, been here all my life. I grew up in Cornwall. Somerset, England for most of my years in Taunton, but a few years in a village in Bridgewater. I actually grew up in the north of England, but I am currently living in South Devon. The southwest, so in Somerset. A place called Reddish, which is just outside of Manchester. I moved from Manchester to Cornwall, age 11. I grew up in Essex till I was eight. And then my mum and my dad moved us to the Ivory Coast for two years where we lived to see and experience both sides of culture, see which one we liked better. If you haven't listened to the first episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to it on BBC Sounds. And then when we moved back to England, we followed my auntie down to Devon when I was 10, and that's where I've stayed. Please be aware this episode contains swearing, brown joy and racially traumatic stories, which some may find triggering. Please take care of yourself as you listen. I've unfortunately had far too many experiences with people asking, you know, the typical way, where are you from or where are you really from? And that happens so often that it it really does dig its way into your your subconscious, like whether you like it or not, if it happens as constantly as it does for most people like us in the Southwest. I don't know if you've had much of that, but yeah. And it's like, oh my God, I can't exist without someone questioning why I exist. And like, that sounds deep, but it is that deep. Like, I can't just be without someone going, oh, why are you here? You know, you wouldn't ask any other random white guy at a bar. I mean, I'm lucky that 
Cornwall's quite a, a safe place, but like where this house is on the main road, when I leave to go anywhere and there's a traffic jam of cars, I'm really conscious that these 30 or 40 cars going up and down in the space of time that I'm walking out the front gate onto the pavement, I've all just seen where I live. And I'm a very recognisable person in Truro and Falmouth and this part of Cornwall. And like, chances are, maybe 50% of those people know who I am or know of me through other people or have seen me playing a gig or at work or whatever. And like, that is quite a scary thought. Like, there's no element of anonymity. And I think that is really isolating in itself, knowing that everyone knows you. I'm very conscious that there's probably a few questionable people out there that if they really wanted to know where I live, it wouldn't be hard. And I'm very much easy to trace in that sense. So that is quite alienating. Privacy is a hard thing to come by when you live in a small community and visibly stand out. If you're not part of the majority, explaining why you're different is a common occurrence. I was working at a venue and this happened like four or five times in a row every time I worked there and I couldn't tell whether it was that particular part of Cornwall or maybe it was just a coincidence because I hadn't ever had it that consistently um, of people basically asking that question, where are you from? Or where are you really from? And so, yeah, there's one dude that really sticks in my head because, I don't know, it's just the, the absolute like audacity of it. So him a drink, he sits down, he's like old boy at, at the pub drinking an ale at like 12 midday. He goes, oh, how long have you been here then? And I was thinking he meant the venue. I was like, oh, I'm actually fairly new, you know, I've only been here a month or so. And he goes, oh, yeah, no, no, I don't mean that. I mean, like, here. I mean, here in, in, in Cornwall. And I was like, oh, well, you know, and I like to not give people an excuse to dig deeper, so I didn't tell him that I grew up in Manchester because, A, it's none of his business, and, B, that would give him more ammo to be like, ah, that's why you're here. So I was like, I, I was born here. I, I grew up here. You know, I've been here all my life. And he goes, no, no, you haven't. And I was like, yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. And he was like, well, buddy, hell, your English is good. And I was like, whoa, okay. And in my head, I was like, what are you, what are you implying? Are you saying that, like, I should have, like, an accent? It just kind of really messes with your head. Even though on paper it sounds absolutely absurd and, like, anyone else would probably just brush it off and be like, eh, what a dumb thing to say, old man. But in that context, it was really like, oh, man, like, you only said that to me because I look this way. And that is a pretty isolating. And the fact that that happens so regularly, there's another guy that came in, same venue, next week in the evening, getting pretty pally with him. And then he goes, again, how long have you been here then? And I was like, oh, I grew up here. I've been here a while. And he goes, oh, wow. Well, where are you from originally? What's your heritage? And because by this time it had happened like three times prior, and I just said, dude, it's not any of your business. It's genuinely nothing to do with you. Does it affect your opinion of me? He's like, no, no, I'm sorry. Oh, and I was like, I was pretty fed up by this point. So I kind of, even though it definitely came from a pretty innocent place on his part, and I, like, looking back, I, I realised that I could have probably been less of an asshole about it. But i just so fed up and I, it, do you know what I mean? It has happened so much. I was like, what gives you the right to ask me these questions? You, you wouldn't go up to any random guy in a pub and be like, oh, where, where did you grow up? Or like, where are your parents from? 
can be quite a personal or quite an invasive question, especially if there's no context to the conversation you're having, like he's just a random person. It gave me the sense of my presence giving them a green card to like prod and poke at my personal history, which is kind of messed up in that sense. You know, I don't exist for your education, I don't exist for your entertainment, I'm not a novelty. Also I had to deal with like the racist comments from people that would come into the pub, they would say, where are you from? Sometimes you can't be bothered, you know, and you're like, well, I'm from Somerset. I remember someone was like, I'm from Bristol. We're from, like, I live in Bristol. And I remember I said to this guy, oh, okay, he was like, where? And I was like, I live in Clifton. He was like, too posh, where? There's always like this opinion. So whether they mean it with good intentions or not, sometimes you just want to be, you don't want to have to like have a reason to exist. It annoys me when people make the assumption that I wasn't born here. I always have the same standard question when people meet me and they say, where are you from? And you say, England. They say, where were you born? And I'll say, Essex. And then they get the confused look on their face. And then I say, are you asking what my heritage is? And they'll say, yeah. And I said, well, my mum's Scottish. I'll start with that first, just to confuse them. And then I'll say, what you actually want to know is, why do I look different? It's because my dad's West African. So where are you from? <laughs> and then I'll have to be like, the North. North Africa? No, the North of England. My little fun game is to like try and dig all the facts that I am very English and I've grown up in the UK for my entire life, despite being half Kenyan. And like, I won't tell them until they eventually will be like, so are you mixed race or? Yeah, I feel, I feel alienated all the time. I always feel this like presence of someone staring at me. I don't know if it is a sense of paranoia, but a lot of the time, if you go into a grocery store, someone's always looking at me. And I've come to think of it 22 years of my life, I'm now only feeling like, oh, they're looking at me because it's a nice way of looking at me. I look nice, or I wish I could look like that, rather than thinking, I don't want to use these words, but like, I'm disgusting or something. Because I know a lot of people think that about my race, about my family. And it's a small percentage of people, but a lot of people have thought that and made me feel like that in the past. But I think that is one of the biggest downsides of being from Cornwall. Not so much like blatant racial prejudice, but this constant feeling of being othered and the constant knowing that you are other. It is constant because there's never one or two days that goes by without you having some kind of a reminder from someone or someone saying something that makes you go, oh yeah, I'm not like you. I mean, the constant barrage of people trying to touch my hair or ask about my hair is a big one. And a lot of the time that's totally innocent, but it is like something that ends up being on your mind 24 seven because, and that's not a problem that other people experience. And it's not just like I've got like dyed hair or something like the hairstyle that I have is quite strongly tied to my cultural identity as well so it's not just like I can brush it off. In this second episode of the Sonic Landscapes of Colour project we asked did you feel isolated growing up in the southwest? No I don't feel like I felt isolated because I do think that I had my family which I really got on with and I had uh, these group of friends that I really like. If I go anywhere it's like Oh, I'm around a lot of white people, like especially like obviously it's a bit of a stigma, but like older white men, 
I'm like nervous. And then now it's nice because my friends kind of like I've spoken to them about it and they kind of feel the same. Like they'll be like, oh, I noticed like, like, are you okay? Like blah, blah. But it's not even something that crosses their mind. So they don't even know that they're being like inherently like racist at all. School, massive part of alienation. Just going back not that long ago, 2020, just before the coronavirus hit, I was in a class at university. Bear in mind, we're in London, it's very diverse. But my professor, she was using her power over me. She made me feel really alienated two or three different times in my class. She knew I was obviously Asian. I was very vocal about being Asian because we had talked about identity in the first day. But it was like a few weeks in, we were talking about a Japanese practitioner. And she, of all people, just picked me to say the few words. And it was written for English speakers, but it was obviously speaking Japanese. I thought it was just coincidental. But I was like, okay, I will. And when I did it, she laughed at me. She said, I thought your Japanese would be a bit better than that. And I was taken right back. And it made me feel so small and it made me feel humiliated. It was kind of like she was using me as a puppet and I felt really vulnerable being in the drama industry. You feel vulnerable as it is. Taking off layers of yourself to play someone else is really vulnerable. So yeah, I was very quiet after that and I I hadn't said anything from what I can remember until she was handing out these study books and they each had a different theatre worker. There was, I think, two black actors, mostly white people and one Korean woman. And she literally picked the first book and it was the Korean lady. She said, Sammy, this one will do for you. And how do you say her name? And I said, what? She goes, read it out. And I said, I don't know how. It was all in Korean. I said, I, I don't know. And she said, oh, OK then. And at that moment, I was just not having it. And I was respectful And I was also scared. She has the ultimate power to grade me and I'd worked my ass off and I did not want to lose the grade, but you're actually insulting me and I'd say I can't not say anything. The worst thing was that my friends didn't say anything. Bear in mind, these were two people that absolutely adore, like, Asian culture. I actually stood back at the end of class. I went, you made me feel really othered. I said, why would you just pick on me? You're basically categorizing all of Asian communities together. You know I'm Chinese. We're not just one person. We're not just one race. Like, we're not just one culture. And you actually hurt me and offended me. But this was her reaction. Sorry you felt that way. And what sucks is she gave me 79.8. So it was like that tiny decimal that had stopped me from getting a first this system was really fucked up and I took it further. I took it to my advisor, I took it everywhere and no one would listen to me. At the end of the day, who is the board? Majority white people, one Asian person, like they're not gonna have much of a say. Then who's the principal, you know, another white person? Who's the chair, another white person? And they didn't listen to me and they said I didn't have sufficient evidence. I still feel isolated, but but in more of a positive way. Like I said before, I am very unique and I kind of wear this as a badge of honor now rather than something to bring me down so basically that is I'm, I'm still isolated and still feel i still feel like that all the time i just try not to think about it trying to figure out where you fit in is something that everyone can relate to but when you hold multiple cultures a whole new dimension comes into play i think it's quite tricky being mixed because you always feel like you don't fit into one or the other like white people think you're too black black people think you're too white and like i've experienced like colorism is obviously a massive issue people with like lighter complexions uh, like 
brown complexions like mine are considered more favorable um, than black women um, with black men. So I, I went to like, I went and hung out with one of my friend's friends and we went to this party or something and and they were like, oh, like, this is this person, this is this person, this is this person. And then they were like, this is Rachel. And, like, the boys only said hello to me. They didn't say hello to the friend. And everyone's like, oh, we know why they did that. Like, I would never feed into that. I've, obviously, my mum is black. Like, I think black women are beautiful. I think every single culture is beautiful. I would never try and, like, profit off of that. The whole rest of the time I was there, everyone was just, like, like really just pushing me to the side like not really speaking to me like the boys were but like the girls that were there would just had like something against me because of the way that the boys had treated me but it wasn't even like I was like oh my god yeah like I'm better than everyone else here I was just I felt as uncomfortable being singled out by the boys as I now felt from these girls making me feel really uncomfortable when I'm literally just existing like it was really hard for me because I had never experienced that before. I'd only ever experienced like racism from white people and then I was like, oh, I really can't, I can't do anything right. When I was at my private school, I was the only black person, but there was one mixed race person there. And he was really racist to me. And for ages, it really hurt my feelings. But now, again, I feel sorry for him because also, you know how you're talking about how you create yourself a caricature to like kind of survive so it doesn't happen to me, I'll do it to someone else kind of thing, because he was lighter-skinned, he would kind of point it out so everyone else would kind of laugh, but it was like, now I think about it, I think he was deeply sad because his dad was black. Now I realise if they're laughing at me, they're probably laughing at you. People are more outwardly racist, so you are too light, you're like a princess, because, like... And then you get, like, the jokes, like, oh, you're burn or... I've never been sunburned in my life, but cool, I guess. You know, my great-grandma grew up in rice fields, you know, picking. If you're, like, tanned and you come from, like, parts of, like, Asia, like Hong Kong or China, people seem to look down on you because they think that, oh, if you're tanned, that means you work outside, which means that you're poorer than me. So people like to have a lighter skin tone. Me, not so much. I, that's another Western thing I think I've taken, is I like to be tanned and I like the sun. With colorism. Maybe it is the same thing, but I think with colorism, sometimes you you don't know any better because the internalized and trauma you're left through slavery and through racism in the past runs deep within sometimes, and sometimes you don't even realize you do it. You know, when you meet black people that are colorists and stuff, it's not, I don't necessarily think it's like they're bad people. I don't think they should know better. Yeah, it's just a product of the environment that was ruined for them, you know, that's so much that has been destroyed within black communities because of slavery, because of the race and they've suffered that, you know, sometimes all it takes is just to be educated and have the right person. I'm sure that within the black community, I know that my brothers and sisters would be funny, you know, would be like, oh, you're darker skinned. And there's like, there's jokes around it. Like, oh, you're... And for ages, you kind of just see it as a joke. It's funny, like, oh, you've got a massive nose or like, and a lot of black people can easily, you know, it's just, or like, don't go out and play outside, you'll get dark as night and stuff and you don't realize it and then it just takes kind of like yeah you don't you don't feel you don't i don't think there's necessarily kind of like hate within you but more of self-hate but i think when there's racism i feel like it's kind of like hatred one guy in a club asked me he was like why are you dark and then i told him i was like oh. he was like oh so you actually you know you're darker than you should be i was like 
I didn't realise there was like a certain way it had to be. I didn't realise there was a scale that I had to fit on, but thanks. Compared to my friend, she was a lot darker than me, so she did experience a lot more racism than I did. But for me, I think it was a lot more microaggression that I experienced, just little comments that really when I was younger they just kind of flew over my head I didn't understand like what they meant but now when I think back on those moments like I'm like that wasn't a genuine you know compliment or whatever the comment was it didn't come from a place of like love I guess. I met this guy on the night out and then he was like oh no but you're like I don't get why you know mixed race people identify as black like I feel like you're missing your dad out. I love my dad so much but it's also kind of weird knowing that someone that's that close to you will never understand some of the things that you've gone through and that you do go through. Um, And that's kind of... That's been hard sometimes for me, which is something I haven't really conveyed to him. But in sixth form, there are a lot of white people that I was angry at because they were hurting me every day. And then my dad was the only person I could take that anger out on. I was angry because I wasn't fully black. Um, and I felt like guilty for being mixed race, I guess. And I felt cut off from my culture. None of that was his fault, but I think I really struggled with that for a time. Um, but like I said, like, we do have a very close relationship. Things are better now, I think, that I've accepted more things about myself. I'm more comfortable with my heritage and my culture and my race. Ah, oh, they're joking around, like, oh, you're an Oreo, like, you're making white boy music, sort of thing. But at, to some extent, that kind of banter is fairly normal, and I never took it to heart. That's a tricky one, because you do end up having this real internal conflict of, like, right, I'm too black to identify with my Indian friends. I'm too Indian to identify with my black friends. I'm too white and British, quote-unquote, to identify with, like, my other mixed friends who are, you know, I'm other to them, and now I'm another to my own people. And that's a horrible position to be with, like... That is a sense of isolation, like, that is truly, like, okay, now I can't even identify with the things that make me feel who I am, because from all angles there's some kind of sense of alienation. Um, We talked about what it is to be, I guess, a quarter of something. In this part of the country, we're, you know, we're obviously other, but other parts not so much. And we talked about the weight of expectation and the pressure that we feel people would ask me things about racism and I didn't always have the answers, you know? Like, I try to educate myself as much as I can, but I don't always know things. And I think, as a person of colour, there's a weight of expectation that you're an expert on race and racism, and actually, you're not. And if you get it wrong, then it's like, oh, well, what right do you have to tell me not to be, not to say this, not to say that? Which is kind of difficult to deal with. And I think, especially knowing that I have privilege, there's a lot of pressure to speak up. So, on the one hand, I have the privilege of being able to speak up because I am, because of my proximity to whiteness but also it's like they don't necessarily see that and they still see me as other. Listening to people talk about racism is never fun but it's important that these stories are given a platform to be heard as racism is still prevalent in our society today. The shit white and come black. And I said something about my mum and she was like, don't get your mum to do voodoo on me. Like open your eyes and smile because I can't see you in the dark and things like that, don't I mean? At the end of year eight, one of the girls called me Chocolate Man and that set the school in absolute riot. Listen, empathise, educate yourself. Don't get angry. Instead, think about how you can make a long-term sustainable change to your life and the people around you. 
the next section gets pretty heavy, so take care of yourself and switch it off if you need to. One of my friends was like to me, oh, like, but you've never experienced anything. And I was like, how, first of all, how dare you? Because you already know I have. And why should I now have to come and tell you all the horrible things that have happened to me for you to believe that racism exists in England? You should already know, like, it's not that difficult to go online and make yourself aware of what's going on in the world. Go on Twitter if you really must. Like, it's all out there, but you, you're choosing to not see it because you live in this little bubble. And it's not fair because I don't get to choose to not do it, see it because it's just happening to me all the time. Eyes say so much about someone. You can communicate through the eyes. And I've always really liked my eyes, if I'm being honest. Um, but when I was younger, this happened a lot. I can say probably every single year because I went to lots of different schools. People would always pull their eyes at me and at my family. It always stung, really. It really, like, stung my heart because I know that people were doing it because they were humiliating you. It was like saying something without saying it, and it was making me feel like, why are they picking on me, and why are they doing that? And it was a way of offending me, a way of insulting me. Just even speaking on the phone, because I used to work a lot in like the food industry, like takeaway and restaurants and stuff, and if I take orders on the phone, then they get there and they're like, oh, English is really good. Like, excuse me, fam, like, that's rude. And they're like, I'm like, what did you expect me to look like? They're like, um, and then they're speechless. Because it's like, I question you, I don't back down. You know, I won't, I won't take anything back. I'm so happy to have been brought up here, as much as I say I don't like it here. You know, happy to be in a a safer environment and a calm environment. I think Devon's really calm and aesthetically really beautiful. You know, nature's a wonderful thing and the sea is is beautiful and it links you to so many other places and, and feelings and people. So, yeah, I love it. Uh, my dad used to run a pub um, in the centre of town. I remember when I was young one day, I was probably about 11 years old, I was sat at the bar with him. He was behind the bar serving. Two old people came in and they said to my dad, how long have you been here for? Why don't you go back to where you come from? And my dad said to me, Jazz, can you just leave? Just for a minute, I'll come back out and I'll find you. And then he just had his words for <laughs> just banned them from the pub because they just came in and just started just gunning for him. Go back to where you come from. You don't belong here. Blah, blah, blah. I was asked to audition for a play and I didn't really want to because the play was like just for sixth formers um, and I was in year eight or nine. I really used to love drama. So I kind of was like, oh, wow, like they must want me to be a part of it because they've asked me and like they must think I'm really good at acting. And then I auditioned and then they cast me as the Negro slave. <laughs> And I hadn't auditioned for that part. Didn't want to really do that. Yeah, I had to play the Negro slave. Don't really know how anyone thought that was okay. And I obviously at the time was like, this is fine, because I had no idea that what really was happening. And looking back, I'm like, that was really, really not okay. Like, that was really odd. And then when I went to the boys' school for sixth form, it was something I tried not to bring up, sort of talking about race and racism, because I knew that people just wouldn't get it at this point. But then other people would bring it up anyway, and I was kind of like, OK, so it's not my fault that this keeps happening. And there was this one boy that just loved saying stuff like the N-word and just generally being racist. And one time he told me to go back to the plantation, and when it rained really heavy on the way to school one day, he asked me if I swam there. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, oh, you know, like the slaves on the slave ships did. What? Like, I, like I hadn't experienced that kind of overtness before. Like, I think I've been quite sheltered 
from that kind of thing and it just really shocked me and I didn't feel like my friends defended me and they'd still carry on being friends with him, like why? And then this year at a party, he shoved his hand down my bra. He was really apologetic about that, but that kind of made me angry because he wasn't apologetic about any of the other stuff. He didn't get that both of those things could upset me. I don't know, it sort of just annoyed me that he would apologise for the sexism, but not the racism. We used to have school discos and they would have a theme and the theme was Jamaica. And just a load of boys like turned up, painted all in black with like dreads and stuff. And one of the teachers that was one of the kind of like administrators or whatever, like letting people in was a history teacher, you know? And like they took all these like Facebook pictures and stuff, put it all over internet. And me and my friend who was Asian, was horrified. But now I think about it, you know, I should have saved those pictures. Because <laughs> like now it wouldn't have just been me, it would be a load of other people because now people understand it. You know, my mum and my friend's mum emailed the school and they didn't do anything about it. They didn't care, they didn't follow it through. But I just know now that before I was like, this is weird, but now it's like, this is just completely wrongs. I think it was more hurtful the racism I got from the Caribbean than England, weirdly. But that's not to say I didn't get racism in England. I had a different type of racism when I went to private school. That was also not very nice. But I guess it hurts more when it's people that are the same skin colour as you. I worked in a building site. I was just a labourer. I wasn't nothing special then. But my nickname was Django. Django Unchained. They shouldn't have done it. They shouldn't have called me Django, but that's what they called me. And it's like a measurement of racism that I can deal with. When you go past that, then it's just you're stepping over the line. If I'm making a problem out of this there, this is going to make more complications again down the line and lose my job or, or anything. Like I have parts of my facial features which have changed um, from the amount of times my nose has been broken. And yeah, it definitely has a lasting effect and it's definitely changed the way that my mental state is. There was this one time in school where someone had written a list of people that should go back to their countries. I wasn't even phased really when that happened. Obviously it was like disappointing to see, but when, when I heard about it, I just didn't feel angry in the way that I should have been. It's just something that is so normalised that it makes you feel like it's normal behaviour when it's not. Yeah, even like the school's reaction to it, they weren't really as shocked as they should have been, which kind of influenced my view on it. I remember there was this day where the teacher left to go and do something and it was just me in the class and they were all just taking jabs at me and taking a piss off me and just... Just like it stinks in here. Obviously, my name is Kumba, and there's a song that goes like Kumba, yeah, my lord. They were like turning it into like horrible stuff, and I remember I had to run out of class. It felt shit. It felt horrible. It felt humiliating. But I don't know, you move on. Sorry, I never speak about the and it's like I thought I was I was over it. I am over it. I didn't know people could be that horrible and it it just went on till the age of sixteen, even though 
you know, of course, in a way you deserve it. Like you stink kind of vibe. Like, you know, no one likes someone that doesn't smell good, I guess. When you're a child, you can't really expect children to have much understanding of what someone goes through or what pain someone's going through or what reasons why they might not be able to kind of have their life together and, like, do something as simple as have a shower and stuff. You can't really understand that there's trauma and weird reasons at home or, you know, it's nice if when you're a kid you can be the most knowledgeable and compassionate person... We're going to break this segment up as we know that for those who've experienced racism firsthand, listening to racially traumatic stories can be pretty taxing. Unlike young people of colour brought up in big cities, growing up in the southwest means you're surrounded by forests, fields, sea, and moorland. I wanted to find out if these natural landscapes have acted as a place of resilience and what impact they've had on well-being. I think it's had a really uh, positive effect on my well-being. I love being outside. I love being able to like go for runs and like be able to just like sit in the stillness and not have people around you and sometimes I go out there (laughs) and I just like dance about because I'm like no one's here I can do whatever I want and no one can see me and it's nice to be able to just like have the sun beating down on you and just to be able to like reflect um in like a really lovely environment Um, and that's one of the things I didn't like about Nottingham was there's so many buildings and there's so many people and you just feel so enclosed even when it's sunny you can't even get the sun because there's so many buildings it's so nice to be able to have so much of the world to explore here I could go out there and rather than be like oh I'm I'm the weird one here it just kind of feels like I am I am the one here I'm out in um, I'm out in the landscape I'm out in the forest on the moor and I'm just alone, but not lonely. <laughs> I love the I love the countryside. I think it's calming. It's affected me. I think I've learned to be more calm. It's maybe more spiritual because in times of need, going to the countryside and speaking to the earth has helped. Having a place to go that's actually relatively safe when you're growing up with your friends, like. I don't know many people that grew up in, in cities or densely populated areas that could walk down to the creek with ten mates and like hang out for five or six hours at a weekend and then walk home in the dark knowing you're still safe. And so that's a real sense of freedom. And maybe that's influenced the way I kind of I see myself as quite like a relatively independent person. Um, that's aided by a real sense of being able to do whatever I wanted to an introspective like an inspiration point of view when creating like it is one of the most valuable things to have around you in the lockdown the first lockdown in 2020 we were going on walks like every day up and around there's woodlands over there that kept me so creatively engaged um i'm yeah super super grateful for being able to do that and feel very lucky because a lot of people probably were surrounded by buildings and and it's not really as inspiring. I don't think I'd be as creative if I didn't grow up in in Cornwall. I really like nature. If I think of, like, the beach, I ultimately think of my family and my childhood and, like, growing up somewhere that's safe. I think that's a really important thing is to be safe as a child, like, just the feeling of home and safety. It's the sound and the smell, I think. You know, the different senses that you can get, you close your eyes and you can just feel the wind and you can hear everyone and you can hear like and the texture of the sand we're actually very lucky to and grow up in this kind of 
area. Now I look back and think, wow, I could just go to the beach every day and play. Yeah, I, there is a sense of like, I love listening to the like, bird sounds. And I'm not a massive animal lover, but when I go to Hong Kong, there are always animals around. Um, I do really love the landscape here. Um, it's where I'm connected with my family, I guess. You know, we go on walks together. Um, we've got the beach, we've got the sea. I've sailed for the past seven years. Um, so I know I'm really lucky to have all that. So I think that's offered me a sense of freedom when I felt isolated or whatever I have or upset by things. I have a space to go and just sort of be free almost. Um, I know it has my sister as well. Like she missed, like she lives in London now, but she misses, you know, the space here so much. She misses having the sea and the moors, um, and just being able to walk in, you know, open space. Kind of freeing, especially. I love it in the winter when you go down to the beach, and it's just empty. You know, there's no one else there, and it's just you, and I can just walk along on my own, and I can like scream into the sea if I want. Um, no one knows and no one hears and it's sort of freeing in a way because sometimes like things do get a lot and you do feel like you just want to scream um but you can't but then you know you can just go to the beach and then i can just run until i can't run anymore or do whatever i need to do yeah it's just so big do you know what i mean (laughs) It just is, um, like, it's endless. And it's also, it's also kind of terrifying, like, way it could, you know, kill you. You could get pulled up by a riptide, and, you know, tourists often do down here, yeah. and that's kind of scary. But, I don't know, it's sort of welcoming. I could just, like, walk, like, half an hour, and then I'm at a beach, you know? Mm. I can, like, get a bus and, like, go to the moors. Like, I have so many different types of natural landscapes around me and I feel like that's such an amazing thing like when I talk to my friends in London and they don't have that they're shocked that like you know I can like go somewhere and see like a completely different place whereas they travel for an hour and they're still in London (laughs) and um, I guess that ties into my identity that like I love going to the beach and um, I like I really like the summer and like going up on the hoe I think that's one of my favourite places and it it holds a close place in my heart going up there and, you know, just, like, lying in the sun or going on the rocks and people, like, my friends go, like, swimming, but I can't swim. When I go to London, I always come home and I go to the beach and go and, like, look at the sea and I start, that doesn't stop to America, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I guess it's just a bit of, like, freedom, isn't it? It gives you that sense of freedom and peace, a bit, I guess, a bit of peace. Yeah, uh, the noise and the fury of it, like... You can, you can go to some place you can shout as loud as you can and no one will hear you. That's great. You're listening to the second episode of Sonic Landscapes of Colour. And now, back to the racism stories. My boss had been really like talking to me about what what um, is acceptable to call black people, whether you can say coloured or half-caste. I went, you definitely can't say that one. Like, and then they were like, oh, OK, yeah, because my friends who are black, they didn't mind what you called them. OK, I'm not your friends who are black. I mind if you're going to call me half-caste. <laughs> I would do really, like, stupid black stereotypes to make them laugh. I remember I used to, like, pretend I really, really loved chicken. And I'll just do loads of, like, weird things, like when, like, people of colour, like, mock their parents' accents and then everyone laughs. You know, when you become a caricature. I think I did a lot of that because it was, like, easier to make people laugh than just to embrace being 
who I was, but also I didn't really know who I was because I didn't feel like I had the space to embrace it. It seemed like being black was embarrassing and maybe it was a coping mechanism. Even speaking to my uncle about topics of racism, it really hurts that he feels the way he does because of the things that he went through when he was younger. Like, they had kids on their block came and weed through their letterbox and were, like, saying racial slurs at them, that kind of thing, like, which, which doesn't happen here. So he doesn't think that racism exists anymore because it's not the same as when he was younger. So he doesn't see systematic oppression as such a problem. But also that's because he's been in the Navy and he's been assimilated by the whole system but that's you know my opinion um but I don't know that's been kind of difficult because I know I'm like we're very close as a family um I think it's been difficult for someone who has shaped me and has you know been there as I've grown up and to find out that they actually have these opinions and the way they think is completely different to you and everything that you'd associated with them so I think that sort of showed me the way that love and race and culture interact like you can love someone who hurts you i feel like i'm not as phased by racism as i should be when racism is kind of normalized you kind of don't feel it as much when you hear it even though you know these comments are like degrading and horrible so funnily enough i don't think they hold as much weight to me as like some of the slightly more um insidious like microaggressions that you experience honestly i find that more infuriating and like emotionally troubling than like someone shouting verbal abuse in my life i haven't had too many outwardly obvious experiences of racism a customer refused to come to my till because i looked a certain way i've gone on holiday to wales wasn't served i've been called a chocolate man or like the n-word there's nothing really that's happened to me that's made me think wow that was really racist and i'm really upset about it and if by having a five minute talk with someone on why something is offensive it's going to make me feel better because i haven't reacted in a negative way towards them it's going to make them feel better because if it was a genuine mistake they now understand for next time and they haven't offended me and i haven't got angry at them and they're more likely to pass that piece of information on to somebody else if i shouted in their face that that was racist that's end of conversation end of bridge that's been built and i'm hoping that by doing that they're going to teach their kids the right way to do it i was defending all my friends like just in a one of those like, silly arguments and this boy was like oh what are you going to do about it blackie and then another boy told me that my skin was dirty Went and told the teacher, she looked at me in my face, she was like, no, I can't see anything there. And then everyone's like, no, 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 he may raise his leg. It's not normal to the point where it's like, yeah, I'm going to leave my house and I'll experience it and that's what's going to happen. It'll still take me off guard, but I've had it happen so many times that it's not like a, oh my God, this is harassment, I need to call the police. It's just like, I expect it to happen at some point, so I'll take it. Realistically, I should be calling the police, but I'm so used to it and I don't like confrontation. <laughs> see, I work for the police. My brother is for all intents and purposes, a criminal. I have found the immediate feeling I get from them is fear. They're absolutely terrified of what could happen. Um, and I think at the moment, there are not enough BAME people in the police force to, to give enough opinion on anything for a change to be done. And I also think it's very difficult for the officers that are out on the ground 
Because of like the lack of resources we have at the moment, the lack of police officers, when somebody of a certain profile is brought up and then somebody of a similar profile walks past them, because there's not enough time to, and not enough officers to speak to that person and clarify whether it's actually them, I do think that everything's moving so fast that they could potentially pick up. We, and it happens all the time, not just with like black people. Um, the wrong offender will get picked up because their clothing looks quite similar. Or like he got arrested like a couple times because they were like he's the only black person, and they were they said it was a black person who was there. Um, or like my other brother got jumped in the street when he was in um, Plymouth because he went to uni there by like five guys um, because he was brown. People don't have a lot of faith in the police and like the justice system, so they don't really want to report things. What's the point in telling the police? Like having to relive your trauma for then nothing to happen. Like it's it's gonna be ages and ages of them like going back and forth with you for no, no resolution. So it's like, what is the actual point? Yeah, the police came, the police were at our house a lot because we had a lot of racist incidents. Like there was used to be a family down the road and a family up the road who were both really racist. Yeah. So um, we used to have like a lot of like eggings in our house or like people spitting at me in the street and stuff like that. And there was like a community officer that would come and like sit and talk to us and just sort of be like, what's been going on? I was just walking outside and then this drunken dude um, just started yelling at me like oh black lives matter it's a bunch of bollocks it means nothing and I'm just like okay and mind you I didn't even say anything as I passed him I was just walking past and he decided to yell at me and berate me which was fun and my dad also went after him before the police were called and he basically just turned around and was like you know what the problem with you is I was born here and you're not and the police got involved, but he wasn't charged with anything because legal loopholes, <laughs> and so he was given a warning. But even then, I wasn't the one who called the police. My dad was, because I'm just so used to being like pushed down because of my race, and also because I'm a woman, so people find it easier to go after me because I'm not as strong as a fellow grown man. Humans are social beings. Feeling seen, accepted and valued is important for a cohesive community and society. So I asked, what does belonging mean and where do you feel like you belong? I feel like I belong to multiple different communities and multiple different circles. Oftentimes, based on where I'm at, whether that's kind of career-wise or physically, like where I am. And that's a really tricky one to answer because I don't know if I feel like I belong. Yeah, sometimes I'm here, sometimes I'm there, sometimes I'm neither. I'm just kind of floating in a fluid belonging rather than a static one, I think. I think belonging is wanting to be somewhere and also being wanted to be there, like, like with your partner or whatever. It's got to be two ways. I feel like I belong here, like in Tiverton, I've got roots here. I've contributed to society here. I suppose I have had like quite a lot of experiences that would make people think they didn't belong, but I've just ignored them, or I've just moved on, or it's been outweighed by the fact that I've had good experiences. I walk into my cousin's house from in Brixton, there's a room for black guys, there's nowhere else or any skin tone, or like they might have one friend there, which is like Portuguese or something. I could walk in there, I could sit down, and the only thing they say to me is, man, you talk funny, because <laughs> I'm from Devon. But that's it. Like, my skin tone, it doesn't change anything. Like, I'm, I'm the same as everybody else as far as they're concerned. My cousin might have to say to him, 
By the way, his mum's white. Like, yeah. they're like, oh, that's why. <laughs> and it's the same down here. I can walk into a room for white guys. I'm just like, what? But he has a guy. And so, yeah, so I just I play on both. And it's just, I am both. Belonging to me is like having like a safe space, like a community of people. For me, I, I don't feel like I belong here. I feel like I belong in Nottingham, anywhere but here, because it's just so nice to be able to see people that like look like you and have like different cultures and like things going on all the time. But like here, it's like I'm just in my house alone every day and I work from home as well. So I'm just, I don't see anyone. It, also, I see my friends at like the weekends and things, but there's just nothing going on here. I feel like I belong in, in the city or in a different country or out and about. Like, I just don't want to be here. I want to be doing everything. My identity is so, like, I guess, polarised in the sense that it's so wide that they're like a place I want to belong. I'm not always completely accepted. So I guess I'm still trying to find a place, you know, that I really... Long. I feel like I just don't really fit in the UK, but if I go back to Hong Kong, I don't fit in there either. I feel like I definitely belong in my actual house. But in terms of actual places where I can feel like I belong when I'm walking and just going around, so London. Belonging, what does it mean? It means, I don't know, being part of something bigger. Um, no, I don't feel like I belong anywhere. I would love to pretend I do, but I don't. I've never really felt like I'm enough for anyone, which is something I struggle with a lot. Um, I think some of that comes from, I guess, my identity, the way I don't feel enough of either culture or either race, yeah. and that sort of stemmed to other areas of my life. So I've never really felt like I've belonged in a specific place, not when I'm with people anyway. Um, that's something about the landscape as well. Like, when I'm in it, I feel like I belong there, you know, because it's not judging me. Like, when I'm with my... Um, when I'm with my friends, that sort of feels like belonging. I love laughing because I can sort of just forget how low I feel sometimes. But as long as I'm laughing, then it's fine with other people. I don't know where I belong. I don't like, I don't know, sometimes I don't want to be anywhere. Lockdown happened, like, got my partner, we've had a baby, and it's like, I feel massively trapped. <laughs> like, and it's like that whole life up there. Never, I'll never have that ever. One of the aims of this project, Sonic Landscapes of Colour, is to encourage reflection and support active anti-racism work. It's only fitting we ask each participant to reflect on their own upbringing and ask what they would tell both their younger self and someone like them growing up in the southwest today. If you, you know, live in an immigrant household, you don't have to do what your parents expect of you. You don't have to be who your parents expect of you to be because you are your own person. And I think the sooner you realise that you could be whoever you want to be, the sooner you can champion your own identity and help champion others. If I could tell my younger self one thing, I'd probably tell her to love her hair, to be honest. Mm. I think about this a lot as well, because my niece is two, and like she's mixed race, and I, like, I just worry for her because I worry like the things that have happened to me. I don't want her to go through that, and I don't want her to grow up feeling like she's not good enough or that people don't like her because of the colour of her skin. They're not as alone as they think, but I think I'd tell them that actually, like, we're here, you know? And I think that's easier with social media, obviously, but, like, um, you know, you're not alone, and even if it's not now, you will, you will go out into the world and you'll find your people. I think it would be, don't be embarrassed of what makes you different. 
I would just say to her probably that some people will be horrible to you and sometimes there really is just nothing you can do and that's okay. You can't change everyone's opinion. You can't make people like you. You can't, like, I used to always think, oh, like, when I like would see, like, racist people on, like, TV, I'd be like, oh, if they met me, they'd, they'd really like me because I'm so likeable and, like, they change their mind. People don't and that's okay because you don't have to associate with them. All you can do is try your hardest to help other people change their opinions and, like, make a change in society. But at the end of the day, you just have to accept there are battles you have to lose. I feel so trapped here and, like, I have been here all my life and um, I haven't had the chance to experience anything else and I've gone out and had the taste of it all. And, like, if, if you feel like you can't, you haven't found yourself, you will do one day. And just if you feel like you want to do something, go and do it before it's too late. Don't feel like you need to hide who you are um, just to fit in with others because you are yourself and... Um, you got to stay true, true to yourself. Stay sober and get educated. So come together and build each other up rather than tear people down. Don't ever be afraid to be your complete and utter, like, truest self. Don't cut yourself short to make other people content. You're going to go through life where a lot of people won't exactly get what you do. However... <laughs> I think instead of living for other people, I think the best thing you can do is live for you. Do what you want, so long as it's legal. <laughs> and um, learn what you want to do and learn how to do it well and learn how to do it to a point where you feel comfortable. Yeah, my mum's got another thing she always says, which is kill them with love, 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 love. I'm Samin, and you've been listening to the second and final episode of my project, Sonic Landscapes of Colour. Firstly, I'd like to say a big thank you to all the participants, Ayla, Beryl, Karam, Isla, Kumbud, Lydia, Jazz, Rachel and Sammy, for sharing their time, stories and lived experiences with us. Thank you to all the musicians too, Tommy for his sitar, Kutub for his oud, Michel for his cuisine and tambour, and Iwan for his guimbiri, fujara, mbira and frame drum. I hope you found our stories interesting, insightful and hopefully supportive. If they touch you at all, please do let us know via social media. You can find us at sonic underscore landscapes underscore of underscore colour. Thank you to my mentors, Sonia Dave from Devon Development Education, Malcolm Richards from the Culture Yards, and Joe Loosemore from the BBC. And finally, thank you to my funders, the Emergence Foundation, Arts and Culture at the University of Exeter, and everyone who donated as part of the Dance Against Racism event in Exeter, who, without which, this project would not be possible. If you'd like to take the educational resource from this piece into a school you're working in, please get in contact with our educational partner, Devon Development Education. And finally, my name's Sumin. I work under the artistic name Somatic. I'm a sound artist, designer, producer, composer, and DJ based in Exeter. You can find more of my work at www.somin, that's S-O-M-I-N, somatic, S-O-M-A-T-I-C.com, or at somin.somatic on all socials. Thank you for listening. Thank you.